I like these songs on this album because they allow you to just sit in that moment that we all know very well. Um, the moment of, of lostness or darkness or feeling unloved and they don't try to fix it. You know, it's just like, Hey, that's, this is the moment I'm at and it's as real as anything else. And it's not saying, you know, it's going to end badly, but it's saying, let's just be in it for the moment. And that's okay. I think that's okay. It's real. This is the Gently Mad, a show where I talk to and pick the brains of the smartest people running creative online businesses. Actually, not so much. If you're looking for that inspirational kick in the pants to help take your life and career to the next level, then this is probably not the place for you. To be perfectly honest, this podcast is about me. Hey, I'm Adam Clark and I'm your host. Thanks for listening. I do talk to people on this show, but instead of that double rainbow of success BS that you'll get in most entrepreneurial shows, we talk about failure, self-doubt, and all the insecurities that we all have that keep us from doing much of anything with our lives. If that sounds like your kind of thing, then head over to avclark.com slash TGM and subscribe. Any actionable advice or helpful tips are simply a byproduct and purely unintentional. What is up, my friends? Welcome to The Gently Mad. I'm Adam Clark. Thanks for listening. Thanks for being here. Thanks for lending me your ears for this hour, hour and a half, however long it goes. We've got Krista Wells on the show today. You may not have heard of Krista. I hadn't until her new album came out, which is a covers album. And it was so great, man. I, I just, uh, I loved it. And I'd been listening to it kind of on repeat for... I don't know, however long before I thought I'd be awesome to have her on the show. And so I reached out. She said yes. I was very excited about that. And we just had a great conversation. I feel like we resonated on a lot of the same topics, felt a lot of the same ways about things, about art and artistry and, and making a living from art and why sometimes you might not want to do that. Um, I mean, when it comes down to it, every artist is an entrepreneur as well. And so uh, there was a lot of, uh, a lot of great stuff in this conversation. I really enjoyed, which we'll get to here in a minute after we do, after we do this, this thing, this uh, intro thing, whatever that is. And uh, yeah, so happy Wednesday to you all. I really do appreciate you being here listening and for supporting the show financially or just by, sharing, word of mouth, that kind of stuff. It all helps. However you do it, it helps. I try to be super honest on this show and in the intros and how I talk about the show and not just hide behind, you know, fake success or, you know, uh, what do you call it? Like, um, there's a way that you can be self-deprecating too that's also fake. And I try not to do either of those things. So... I mean, just as far as it goes, as far as updates, as far as like what's going on goes, you know, this show is the only thing I've got right now. I mean, I've got the course, I launched the course, but it's still kind of in beta mode. But this is, I mean, this show is the only thing that is my only source of income at the moment. And I'm starting to get kind of nervous about that. It's doing well, but I don't know, just being the cynic that I am, Uh, I tend to think, well, how long is it going to be doing well? You know, it's bound to come crumbling down at any moment. 
And I don't know if I'll be able to continue selling sponsors and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not exactly sure what the future holds here, but all that's a long way of saying I appreciate all of you who are sharing the show, leaving reviews on iTunes, who are, you know, financially supporting the show, which you can do at avclark.com slash support. I, I really appreciate all that stuff. It all does help very much. It has been insane. I mean, just absolutely insane. I, I can't describe what it's like having a six-year-old, a seven-year-old, and a wife who's pregnant, and it just and working as much as I have to work right now. It's just crazy. I mean, I feel like, I mean, I don't know how many of you have seen the movie It's a Wonderful Life. I mean, it's an old one. I mean, we're talking Frank Capra here, like the 30s. But I grew up on those kind of movies, and so... I, I still watch him from time to time, but there's a scene in there where he's just walking through the house and he's tripping over everything and it feels like everything is broken. And despite the fact that he does have this wonderful life with his family and, and his children and a lot of things are going well for him, all he can see is just the negative stuff. The fact that the house is a wreck and he doesn't have the time to fix the things he needs to fix or do what he needs to do. And he just gets so mad. And I feel like that's kind of what I've been doing lately. It's just feeling like I just have no time to do the things I need to do. And I have so much extra that I need to do right now because like I said, my wife is pregnant. We've already got a couple kids and she's, uh, this has been a rough one. This has been a rough, you know, the first two kids. I mean, the pregnancies were, I mean, they were pretty easy, especially by comparison, but this one's been pretty rough and she's been sick pretty much the whole time and exhausted the whole time. So it just, uh, you know, I had that feeling today, like walking through the house, like, holy crap, man, we're living in like this shitty, you know, pigsty because I mean, like I said, she's exhausted. So the cleaning stuff is kind of up to me. And, and of course, I mean, I don't do it, <laughs> you know, and it's just, it's one of those times where I'm, where I feel like, what am I doing? You know, what, what am I, why am I doing this? You know, why, why don't I just go get a job and, and not have to stress about money, income? I don't know. I guess the reason that I don't is because a job is no more secure than what I'm doing now. I mean, there's an illusion of security to have a regular paycheck but those of you who have had jobs know uh, you can get fired at any time. You know, you can lose your job, get laid off at any time. It's, it's no more secure than being self-employed. In fact, it might even be less secure because as someone who is self-employed, if you're an entrepreneur or a business owner, then at least you're in control of finding your clients, finding your sources of income. And if you know how to do that and do that well, then it's it's as sure as a regular paycheck. But I've never been great at that stuff. I've never been great at the business side of things. I am interested in it. It is intriguing to me, but I've just never been good at the cash flow and thinking about that sort of stuff and, and planning for the future. I just had a call today with some friends who do a podcast, a very successful podcast, and they wanted to ask me about sponsoring and, and how to get sponsored, not just how to get sponsors, but like, you know, how I'm able to do what I'm doing, you know, and it just struck me that from the outside, 
this whole thing seems successful. It seems like I know what I'm doing. But I'll be honest, I, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm just winging it. As I've said all along, I'm, I'm completely winging it. You know, I mean, I hope that I can continue to sell sponsors for this show or get enough listener support that I don't need to sell as many sponsors or that the other income streams I'm trying to build this year take off or at least start providing some income. You know, that's what I'm banking on, but I have no idea if any of that's going to work out. Next month, I may be having to go back to freelancing or, like I said, looking for a job or something. I don't know. It's I, I don't. It feels weird to have people ask me for advice as if I know what I'm doing or as if I have something to offer because I really don't feel that way most of the time. But as I said, we've got Krista Wells on the show, and uh, you should really check out her EP. Uh, this covers EP is absolutely fantastic. I, I man, I, I love this album, and I, I've, I've been listening. I still, even now, you know, I, I've passed the stage of listening to it nonstop. You know, I do that for a week or two with some new discovery, and then I move on and I come back to it. But uh, the last couple of days, I've been listening to it again, and it's just so good. I mean, I mean, she, she's covering songs from bands like Nirvana and The Smiths and Depeche Mode, Smashing Pumpkins, U2. You know, all, all bands that have been favorites of mine for the last 20 years, you know, since I kind of discovered that kind of music. When I was a kid, I was super into music. I mean, I, I started taking piano lessons when I was five, and it was just more and more from that point. But I didn't really get into, like, rock and roll and pop music and stuff like that until later in my teen years. Um, as a piano student trumpet student it was all classical you know I, I i entertained the possibility of having a career as a orchestra member playing trumpet when i was uh you know early teenager but i didn't end up pursuing that path i did play into college and you know about that time frame early 20s is when i kind of stopped all that stuff and then i jumped more into like the band scene and uh, started a band with a buddy of mine and really loved, got into playing drums and stuff like that. Totally different than what I did as a kid, but I really loved it. And Chris and I talked about some of that stuff, just the thrill of being on stage, but then all the negative stuff too. You know, how hard it is to sell albums and to sell tickets. And like, I hated the traveling. You know, I, I loved walking out on stage to a packed venue and and doing a show that, that that's a feeling I can't describe. And it's unlike anything I've ever done before, but the constant traveling and, you know, that kind of stuff I hated. I hate it. I, I don't know how she does it. She's, she's doing, you know, 30 to 50 shows a year right now, which is a lot of shows. If you think about it, it's, it's close to one a week. And, uh, man, I, I don't, I couldn't do that. I got out of it because, I didn't want to travel anymore. I, I dreaded getting into that van, even though it was a nice van. I mean, it was the kind of van with TVs and beds and that kind of stuff. But still, I just hated the traveling. But uh, that's what she's doing. And I really enjoyed this conversation with her. It was so good. This EP, like I said, is called Covers. It's on iTunes. It's on Audio. It's on uh, Noise Trade, which is where I first heard about her. You can check it out. Really, really good stuff.
And if this was a, a music show, I would play clips right now because I really want you to hear it. But just go to one of those places and check it out. I think you will really enjoy it. She brings her own unique take to those songs. Songs like that, that are, are so steeped in history and you're used to hearing them a certain way. Like uh, Tonight Tonight from Smashing Pumpkins, for example. You know, it's, it's, it's hard to think about that song and not hear, not hear Smashing Pumpkins doing the song, but she, she does it in her own way that's unique and, and fresh, and it's great. So definitely check it out. Uh, all the links here to like that album and where you can get it and all of Krista's stuff. She also does a songwriter workshop, which we got into a little bit. It's all, gonna be, it's all in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at avclark.com slash 44. So go there and check that out if you want to. In the meantime, I'm let's get right into this conversation. I, I'm, I'm excited about it. Uh, I really enjoyed talking to her. We recorded this uh, at least a couple months ago. I don't remember exactly when, but uh, it was it was a good one. So we'll be right back with my conversation with Krista Wells right after this brief word from our sponsors. Matter sponsored today by Harvest. Harvest is a beautiful tool for time tracking, invoicing, and powerful reporting. I've been a Harvest customer myself for years now, and as I've said before, one of the greatest things I love about Harvest is the attention to detail when it comes to design. I, being a designer myself, I didn't want my invoices to look crappy. I didn't want to use a system for time tracking and report generating that didn't share the same aesthetic taste for design that I did. So I called up Danny Wen, one of the co-founders of Harvest, and all that design stuff is actually intentional. You know, when you take on a, a domain like uh, time tracking, you know, it's a thing that most people uh, find to be a hassle in the first place. Um, so we've spent a lot of uh, our time and energy over the last nine years to really make uh, the time tracking experience, make that as easy and convenient as possible. And so for us, that means really thinking about what the modern workflow looks like. Uh, is, the, is the customer um, not just on the web, but they're also on mobile, they're also in these other applications. Can we make the, the, the experience connecting all, all these different points um, as smooth and easy as possible so that at the end of the day, you're actually gonna get uh, accurate time tracking data. So whether you're a freelancer or part of a small team or even a large team, and you need to track time, send invoices and generate reports, and you care about doing it in an extremely user-friendly way, then Harvest is the place for you. You can go to getharvest.com and sign up for free. You get uh, the first month free. And by using the promo code TGM at checkout, you can get 50% off your second month. So go to getharvest.com, check them out, and thanks to Harvest for sponsoring The Gently Mad. We're also sponsored by Hover. Hover is the best way to buy and manage domain names. Seriously. They take all the hassle and friction out of registering a domain name. And if you're anything like me, then you tend to register quite a lot of domain names. I've mentioned before how I love the simplicity and ease of use that Hover gives me as a domain purchaser. 
and the fact that they have a telephone number that you can call if you have a question or a need about anything you can call an actual number and get an actual human without long hold times or anything and that means a lot to me but there's a reason that hover is able to operate that way so one of the best things i think uh, for me at least is the size of the team this is michael keshin by the way a hover employee so we actually have a pretty small team. It's funny because we're in a so we're in a, a big building because we're owned by two cows. So there's a lot of uh, different uh, different brands that operate within the company. Um, but with Hover, it, it sort of operates like a startup. So you have a lot of access to the key decision makers because there's only a few people uh, that can make them, and they're all close. You know, we all kind of sit near each other. So it's so yeah, just being uh, kind of quick and nimble and, and being able to really operate as a team that doesn't have, you know, like go over to that side of the building to talk to so this the, this team head who will then approve it to that manager and all that stuff. So that doesn't really exist. And it, it really feels like, um, you know, everyone's on the same page and we all work together closely to, uh, to get things done. So if you've never used Hover before, Seriously, just go to Hover.com and check it out. I don't think you'll be disappointed at all. In fact, if you're like me, then you're going to immediately move all your domains to Hover because that's what I did. If it's your first purchase at Hover, you can get 10% off your order by using the promo code TGM at checkout. Again, Hover.com. Check them out. Thanks to them for sponsoring the Gently Mad. Well, I hope you do check out Hover and Harvest. I really appreciate them sponsoring and they're great services. So check them out. All right. Well, let's get to my conversation with Crystal Wells. As I said, great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Really, really smart woman with a lot of insight into being an artist and and what it takes to be an artist. So let's uh, let's get right into this. Here's my conversation with Crystal Wells. mentioned your workshop and and some of the, uh, the the relating like what what were yeah. what were you relating on what were the things you were talking about there well well you you were talking about um you know kind of struggling you shared a record like a audio journal an audio journal oh, yeah. of, mm-hmm. and you were feeling discouraged and then you had gotten this one email from someone who said it really mattered what you were doing and and you thought hey if one person you know if you're getting an email from one person that matters. And it's funny because I've had this conversation with other, um, what I call indie artists, whether they're musicians or, you know, bloggers or authors or just, they're kind of, they feel like indies to me. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and we've had this conversation about how we underestimate the value of a small platform and a small audience. And we undervalue the worth of those, individuals, whether it's 10 or 20 or 50 or, um, we don't, I mean, I don't personally, but I, I anymore, but I know that that's a common thing to feel like, is it, is it a worth my time? And, and is, is it worth it to the world in general that I'm doing this? Does it matter at all? And we were saying recently, and in this workshop, 
you know, in no other context would 10 lives not matter. Yeah. If 10 people are, like you said, in your living room asking for advice, that's, you know, those 10 people are, you know, pretty important to you in that moment. Mm -hmm. 10 people's lives were lost in front of your house. You know, they got hit by a bus that would matter. And frankly, you know, I used to really feel silly kind of when I would get emails from people and think, it's not like I'm a firefighter saving lives or something. I mean, it's kind of, um, you know, is this just entertainment or is it really a value? But lives are saved in all kinds of ways, you know, and this one song or this one conversation or the smile from a cashier could be the thing that saves me today. You just never know. And yeah, so I'm all about that. I love, I loved your heart. I think, I think the difficulty is sometimes when, you know, we're trying to, that's kind of one of the central themes of the show too, is like, how do you make something that's meaningful and also make money? Cause those things almost mm-hmm. seem like they're, they're there. It's not possible. Like they're opposed to each other and it is possible, but it's very difficult. And um, I had a conversation on the show a while back with an author named Seth Godin. And he was talking about how, um, you know, if you can make money doing the thing that you really love to do, well, then you're really lucky. But uh, not everyone can do that. And mm-hmm. sometimes you have to have a, quote, job. You have to subsidize the thing that you really want to do. And, you know, for a lot of musicians, especially and um, first time entrepreneurs or small business people, it feels that way. It's like, you know, those 10 people, those 50 people, 100 people certainly they matter, but it's not enough to make an income out of. Mm, So then you're, you know, you're struggling with, like you said, is this worth the time it takes? You know, what, what is, um, what am I really doing here? And, and so I think, I don't know, I I feel like that's why you have to kind of, that's why I tell people, uh, you have to love the process of it and love the thing you're doing enough that you would do it anyway, because it may be a long time before any money comes from it. Absolutely. Seth Godin has been a huge influence on me, too, um, with both Tribes and Lynchpin and his blogs. Um, yeah, you know, I remember when I was in a band in college and we met with a record label um, and did not get signed by them, but but they were at least willing to sit across the table and have a conversation. And I remember the uh, A&R rep saying, we are ultimately looking for bands who would be doing this, whether or not they get signed, who, you know, who just love the music that much. But I I know that as you get older, you have um, real life, you know, expenses to deal with you. And, you know, if you get married and have kids, you have real people depending on you. And so even if you're not, you know, I haven't been the primary breadwinner in our household, but it still costs our family something every time I'm spending hours writing a song or I'm making, taking a trip to Nashville or going to perform, it costs us something. And so, you know, you're always having to evaluate that worth, you know, that side of things is real. And, um, I think people are wired differently too. There are people who really decide they don't want, um, their the thing that they love to be tied to their yeah living. I was just talking to a young singer songwriter that I mentor, and um, she's immensely talented. And she 
has been uh, majoring in music business, but has recently switched to finance. And I was asking her about that. And she said, well, I interned last year in this financial institution and I actually really enjoyed it. And um, it doesn't mean I don't want to do music, but I, I kind of don't want to put that pressure on the music to have to be my main source of income. Yeah. And this is a day job that I don't have to take home with me. It's not high stress. I can do it you know, and then make music at night and on the weekends. And, you know, so I think yeah. that's for her. Yeah, I, I think it's really interesting. I think I had a conversation with um, one episode previously, um, uh, an artist named Stephanie Halligan, and we were talking about how, I don't know, it's almost like this thing is ingrained in us from childhood. Um, we give up on our dreams pretty quickly, and a lot mm-hmm. of times they just seem... Because for whatever reason, we just believe it's just not possible. Like, mm. it's it's just not possible to make a living as a musician or as a podcaster or, or as an artist or whatever. And so we switch to more responsible things, which for me was journalism and then web design and, and various things like that. Because um, it just it didn't even cross my mind that the thing I really wanted to do could be possible if I, you know, put enough work or effort into it and that's not to say that it always is possible I mean like I said I was in a band for several years and uh, my best friend who kind of was the leader of that band he's still doing it and he's been doing music for man what is it 2015 he's been doing for almost 15 years now and Mm -hmm. and it's still not a uh, it's still not a full-time thing I mean if he if he Mm -hmm. filled his year with you know small gigs you know uh, multiple times a week you know he could make enough money to live but that's a really hard life you know and it it and and nothing has ever nothing has you know all the albums he's only ever made enough money to just cover the cost of making the album you know and and nothing has ever really taken off and so Mm -hmm. I was really interested well well, first of all, I, I, I heard about you because of this covers EP that you did, um, which was pretty cool. And I want to talk about that. But also on your website, you do these workshops. And that's what caught my eye mostly because I, I wondered if um, uh, that was a way that you were trying to, you know, sort of subsidize making music and doing mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like I had a conversation with Derek Webb earlier and... Um, a month or two ago and he was talking about how you know the whole noise trade thing you know he's he's reached a point with his audience that it's it's small enough now that it it can't support him and so he's got to find if he wants to keep making music he's got to find another way to support himself and so right. he decided to focus on noise trade full-time so hmm. i'm interested to hear about the the workshop and that kind of stuff but i guess maybe before that what just how did you how did you get here? You're, I read your bio and you're a writer and musician and, and were writing songs for other people for a long time and then doing your own stuff. You know, how did, how did, how did you wind up, um, in this industry, you know, the field, if you will? Well, um, for me, you know, you talked about childhood dreams and, and that's what it was. Music was just always the thing. I mean, really the only thing I was good at. And so, um, or that I felt like I was good at and it's what I loved. I just, so, um, it was a matter, it's always been a matter and it's still a matter of me finding out where exactly I fit, you know, in that whole 
scene of music making. Yeah. Um, I grew up wanting to be a performer, but when I got to be a grown up, I, you know, I was increasingly aware that I, I'm not, I wasn't comfortable in front of people. I didn't enjoy that part of the process nearly as much as I had hoped to. Um, and that, and I found that what I really loved was the writing. I just, I love being alone. I love being at the piano, um, love working with words, especially. So, um, had some good advice given to me. I was also, you know, not living near any hub of music industry, um, at the time or as I entered my early adulthood. So we were over here in North Carolina and I started focusing on songwriting and, um, because I had friends in Nashville that I had done some work with in the past, um, some doors opened into the songwriting, um, end of things. I, I wasn't really writing for them, but I would write songs and I would send them out and, you know, they just found yeah. a home with a couple people. I haven't, um, it's been interesting because my reputation in the Nashville music scene is definitely more as a songwriter, but it's funny, like what a small handful relative to actual like staff writers, how few songs I've written and had cut. It's, it's small, but they've, um, they've just been put to good use. So some of those have been pretty huge in that scene, even though, you know, I haven't been prolific from in a visible yeah. way. I, I do write a lot, but, um, which is what led me into, uh, the realm of independent artistry because I was writing so much that doesn't fit with what they're looking for, um, commercially there, but is perfect for me to share as an indie artist. Yeah. So, so that's kind of what, you know, how I ended up doing a little did you, both. Did you ever go, uh, was there ever any detours? Was it just always music, always, you know, college, you know, just your whole life? That's always been yeah. the focus or, you know, was there ever a period where, you know, you decided to do something else? There was a small, there was a small chance I could have been a teacher <laughs> yeah. because I loved English and um, I did major in English, secondary ed. Um, but when I did the student teaching, man, that is some hard work there yeah. that I just was like, I have a whole new respect for for my teachers. But um, so my heart wasn't in that as much as I love to read and write. So, uh, yeah, I did some substitute teaching. But other than that, I've it's been music. Yeah. Well, so how did you what was what you know, you said you 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 wanted to be a musician. You actually in your bio, you had a line that um, I really liked where, well, you, you talked about how uh you know, recently you you kind of overcame the performance anxiety and started, you know, performing again. And so, when it when it comes to that, you, you said you realized you didn't like being in front of people. Um, was that something you really didn't like, or or you were just you hadn't pushed through being uh, afraid of it? I guess does that, that make is, sense? That's a great question, and one that surprisingly has not been. Asked. It's what I mean. I've I've talked about that in conversations, but um, it is a great question. I think it's a little of both. Um, I'm I'm definitely more of a an introvert, and I I love to. I don't. I've now. I don't have. I think there is a performer personality that exists that I do not have. Um, I do think that's a real thing. I have friends and family members who are just from 
a young age, they just kind of are waiting for their moments to shine. And I have just always been a person who really wants to be a part of things. I like, I want to be invited in and be included, but I don't want to be like stared at really. (laughs) Um, So, but then I think there is also the other side of it. And I I just read this book called Quiet by um, Susan Cain. I hope I got that right. She, and it's, it's about introversion, but, um, and I'm not an extreme introvert, but I did, I do resonate with a lot of what she said. And she was talking about performance anxiety and how you can, you know, we can, like you said, push through that fear and you can stretch yourself to the limits of your temperament. And I like that phrase because that feels like, That feels true to my experience over the last few years since I've started um, performing again, or I say again, but really it's performing for the first time consistently. Yeah. I mean, I guess the reason I'm curious is because um, that was another part of that Seth Godin conversation where he was just, um, he was talking about, you know, the, the, the things we're afraid of are, you know, Whenever someone is like, what should I do? You know, if if he didn't have any information about that person, Mm -hmm. he said, you know, I would tell them to find the thing they're afraid of and then do that because that's, (laughs) that's usually where, you know, the meaningful things, you know, um, are. And so that's where I was curious if, if, you know, your fear around performing was, uh, you know, once you started doing it, if you found like there was a lot of meaning for you in that. Mm-hmm. Or just, you know, just yeah. how, how that worked for you. Well, the thing is that I was just, you know, when I, I got, I had to perform this weekend. And when I came home, my, I'd been in the car for a long time. So I asked my husband if we could just go for a long walk and talk so I could debrief. And I said, you know, it's still a struggle. Like I've been doing it since 2009, fairly consistently. And it's still, um, there's so much anxiety involved in it for me. But there's something, I feel so inadequate when I'm up there and I feel, yeah, I, it's hard for me. It takes so much out of me. And yet I also feel like there's something mystical and magical that happens between me and an audience. And it's confirmed afterwards in conversations and feedback. And it's not that I think every person in the room responds well to me, but, but there are very deep connections that happen um, when I share my music myself. And so I feel like, and, you know, and on, on the entrepreneurial side, um, I, you know, that old saying that necessity is the mother of invention. Yeah. I think that's so true with business. You know, um, you kind of like I went I the only reason I started performing is because I had to or these songs would not be heard because they weren't really suited right. for an existing audience uh, artist. So I had to do it. And but doing it has opened up so many doors that I needed to go through as a human, as an artist, yeah. you know, what, what, what so. are some of those things? Like what, what have you found on the other side of, you know, uh, performing and, uh, you also said on your website that you, you do about 30 to 50 shows a year or something mm-hmm. like that, which is, you know, I mean, that, that's not, um, that's not a ton, but that, that is also yeah. kind of a lot, you know, I mean, that's, that's once a week at least. Yeah. Um, and so I guess on the other side of this, you know, now you're performing and doing it. What are some of those doors or what are those things that you have uh, discovered that you didn't know before? Um, well, the first thing is on a philosophical note, I guess I've just 
come to meet face to face with the fact that it's not about me, even though I'm the artist, um, everybody in the room might be looking at me at a given moment, but it's really about them. And it's, I'm just, um, it's confirmed to me what a servant you have to be in any kind of role like this, what you're doing, what I I'm doing it where it's, um, in order to be a good artist, you have to be a servant, you know, a servant of the people and a servant of the song. And, um, so, and I've realized that that is a freeing thing and allows me to share more fluidly. Um, I, I realized early on, and I shared this this weekend as well, that I'm probably more afraid of success than failure. Yeah. <laughs> because, you know, as, if, as soon as you do well at one thing, you just have more opportunities to be terrified. <laughs> and it's really doing the next thing. Yeah. It's really strange how that happens. I mean, I had the same experience with this show is that I, I just, I got fed up with trying to make something I thought would be popular and decided to just make something that I needed to make. And I really didn't expect anyone mm. to listen to it because I didn't think it would be interesting to anyone. And it, it, it has turned out to be the most, um, uh, the biggest thing in terms of audience or popularity that I've ever done. And, and that was actually like, I was prepared for failure, but I wasn't prepared for, um, success. And so yeah. success is almost, it can almost be as debilitating <laughs> as failure. Cause you're like, well, what do I do now? You know, yeah. I didn't expect anyone to listen to this, but people are <laughs> listening. So then it puts all that pressure on and you have to start. I found myself start doing the same thing I was doing before. Well, now that all these people are listening, you know, what do they really, what do they really want? And, and I've got to make stuff for them instead of just making the thing I need to make, which is what mm. drew the people in the first place. Right, right. There's this new kind of pressure, new pressure that, you know, that you feel to, um, to deliver something yeah. that's, you know, to meet those expectations again and again. And, well, what if that was the last, you know, for me, it's always, well, what if that was the last song I've got? What was the last, if that was the last good thing I have to write in me? Um, yeah. But it's opened up doors, you know, just there, you just are always finding yourself in a new situation um, with the song, with the performing that I do, because I'm not in a band that's um, going out and setting up extended tours where we're doing the same set every night and we're kind of running the show and defining what it's going to look like. And, um, it's, it's really, um, constant preparation for new things every week or every yeah. other week, because, um, you know, people ask me to come and perform for s certain events. It might be an artist driven event, you know, or about creatives or which was like this weekend, or it might be a women's event or, you know, for mm -hmm. a certain age group or, I don't know. So it feels like there, those new windows I'm having to, you know, or new doors I'm having to go through all the time. I, one thing I think I I've learned, um, I'm really excited about that. I didn't know is the opportunities to mentor younger people. Um, I didn't expect that, I guess, even though I started in 2002 working with, um, with young, with high school creatives at a creative arts camp called Masterpiece. Um, I've really, it's since I've started performing and getting out there myself, I've, my enjoyment of working alongside other young artists has increased because 
I guess uh, probably because I'm experiencing some of what they're experiencing, even though I'm doing it at a much later stage in life than they are. I'm not 18. Um, and I, as you said, I did songwriting for quite a while before I started performing. So pretty much everything about my journey has been in a lot of ways atypical. And well, were you, I mean, like, so did you start out wanting to like have a career as a performing artist, like, you know, basically to get famous. You know, I mean, I think anyone, yeah. anyone who starts a band, I mean, I think they're lying if, if there's some part of them down mm-hmm. there that hopes that they get famous and they're on, you know, the Grammy stage someday <laughs> or something like that, you know, was, was yeah. that, was that there and did something, you know, make you realize uh, that's not ever going to happen for me or what was the whole point of all this, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, well, well, when I was, um, I'd say, under age 16, I definitely looked up to female singer-songwriters, or I don't know if I even, I don't think I used singer-songwriter as a phrase back then, but yeah. um, female artists, and I thought, I'm going to do that. That's that's what I'm going to be. And um, didn't even, I really didn't even question it that much. I remember actually being kind of made fun of by this, um, I was in a upper level German class when I was in ninth grade. And uh, one of these upperclassmen was like, really? So you think you're going to be like that person? And I was like, that's, yeah, that's what I'm going to, that's what I'm going to do. And um, even then I didn't, I hadn't had a lot of experience being up and center. You know, I had been Mm -hmm. a part of choruses and musicals and things, but I still, I just, music was my thing. So I just, you know, felt like I was going to do that. And I don't, I guess I don't feel like I got to a point where I thought I can't do it exactly. I think I, or like, it's not possible for, yeah. for me. Um, what changed the direction? I guess like, when did you yeah. decide that that's not what you're going to do? Cause that isn't what you've done. So like, yeah. what was that in high school still or college or no, at what I think point? College. Yeah. yeah, it was in college and just after college where I just found I kept saying no to opportunities to go. That would have been what you have to do to be on yeah. that path. I wasn't willing to say yes. And and I don't have any regrets about that. Um, what I kept, think, why, why were you saying no to those things? Um, they didn't feel consistent with what I felt was my purpose in those different seasons. And they, some of them you know, looking back, you would think, well, that's ridiculous. But for me, it was a big deal at the time. For example, I was singing backup, not no, this wasn't my road to stardom, but I was singing backup for um, an artist in when I was in college and he was talking with record labels and he got signed and I left the band at that point because um, I had grown up in the military, in a military family. And I was so like miserable during high school that I really loved college and I loved that community. And I didn't want to be on the road. I wanted to be there just Mm. part of things. And so I said no to that. And then I was in a band. And like I said, we were talking with um, a label and we were, we'd spent months doing a recording, but I, I felt like I wasn't discovering my true musical voice within that context, even though I loved the, the guys in the band and I needed to go off on my own for a while. So there was that. And then um, basically when you you went off on your own, was it still like, did you still have in the back of your mind that you were going to be, you know, um, a singer, a performer, a recording artist, basically? Or, you know, that's what I'm I'm wondering is like, where did that shift shift happen? 
Um, it was still a possibility at that point in my mind. I think one of the major turning points is um, was had to do with life circumstance and had to do with some advice that I got. One, um, the life circumstance was we moved away from Nashville, where I had some connections and opportunity. We moved to North Carolina um, and I had a surprise pregnancy. Right. So that definitely because I wanted to when I had a child, I wanted to be with the child. That was, um, that did slow me down in my thinking a bit, Yeah, but it was still, there are people who do that. And my husband was supportive. I could have still pursued it. Um, I sat down with, um, an, an older gentleman who's a songwriter and had been in, around the Nashville music scene for, I don't know, 50 years. And I told, I expressed my personality and my desires and my history to him. And I said, what do you think? Like, Am I, I, I'm just not sure whether I should be performing, um, pursuing performance or songwriting, focusing on one or the other. And he, after listening to all of my, <laughs> my ramblings, he said, you know, I think that there would be a lot of good reasons for you to consider focusing on songwriting, given who you're saying you are, what you care about. Um, yeah. I don't think I'm not hearing from you that you're re really willing to do the things that are required to go down that performance track full time. Um, you're not wanting to be on the road all the time. You're, you're not wanting to make those sacrifices and it is, there's a cost to everything, you know? So, yeah, I mean, I, I was, I mean, it's the same way. I mean, there's, I was, um, uh, the band that I was in, I was a drummer in that band and it's, um, I can't really explain the feeling of being on stage. It's probably like one of the greatest things, um, you know, I can describe mm. when it's just, it's, it's hard to even describe when, when you're on a stage and the, where, whatever venue you're playing is, is packed full of people and there's just this energy. But I was the same way as that, you know, I think we had just had our, either our first or second, kid at the time and um and I just hated the traveling you know I hated yeah. hated getting in the van and the bus and just um you know I, I dreaded every time that happened and um and I real for me I realized that even if like tomorrow this was a full-time like you know well-paying thing if we got signed Mm. Um, I still wouldn't want to do it because yeah. I loved playing, but I just didn't like the, and I loved performing on stage, but I didn't like the traveling at all. And so for me, that was the thing that kind of, kind of killed it. And every, yeah. And every job you do, every work you do in life is going to have some things that, you know, you, the thing that you love about it. And then some, you know, associated tasks that are less enjoyable to you, I'm sure with your podcast and with my songwriting, um, but, you know, hopefully we find the one where those associated tasks that are less enjoyable aren't a deal breaker, yeah. you know, and that's what I found in songwriting. But in on the performance track, it was definitely right for me not to go, even though I'm performing now, it looks very different from what that other life. Yeah. You know? So how how so, is what you're doing now different and what made you decide it's time to start doing that? Um, it's different from what I envisioned as a kid in that I'm not on the label. I'm, I'm able to make all my own decisions, maintain full creative control, which works for me because I'm kind of a, a stubborn individualist and <laughs> don't fit in the boxes that would draw larger crowds. Yeah. Um, so it looks different in that I, you know, it's a much more irregular life and, and, and diversified vocation because I'm 
divided between songwriting for other people, songwriting for myself, recording for myself and performing, and then participating in um, mentoring other songwriters. So um, there's all that. And what helped me to take that step again in 2009 was um, after several years of having, you know, some songs cut by other artists, which was, which I loved seeing happen. And I still love that when it gets to happen, I realized that it was never going to be a great percentage of what I write that would find a home elsewhere. Yeah. And, um, I met, uh, a girl named Nicole Witt who she was on the country, uh, side of writing at the time, but we found ourselves so connected and, um, and we both were in that same boat of being writers for other people, but having this growing body of work that we really believed in. And these songs that a lot of times we cared about or believed in more than the songs that were getting a lot of airplay, Yeah, you know? So we kind of started joking like, well, I'll go do it if you'll go do it. And, yeah. you know, so we just started booking some stuff and, and I, I was terrified. I mean, I was sick and I was so anxious and it's still an issue for me, but, but I've learned how to self-talk and, pray through it and, and breathe through it. And I do find joy in it now where I, it was hard to find the joy in it early on, but, but now I, I just, I love people so much and I love the music so much that it's definitely worth the other part. Yeah. <laughs> the harder parts. Yeah. Well, what, so let's, I'm interested to know this whole, the whole thing, the whole money side of things. Cause mm -hmm. I know that that, like I said, in the beginning, that's a big, it's a big deal when you're doing, you know, you want to do this thing, but um, maybe it's not making any money or you're having trouble making money with it. Did you, right. you know, um, was that ever an issue or a, a problem where, you know, mm -hmm. of like, did you ever have that moment where, as we said in the beginning, it, what am I doing here? Should I even be, does this even matter? Because no one seems to be listening or paying attention. I can't seem to mm -hmm. generate any income and maybe I need to do something else. Yeah. Well, in my um, earliest years after deciding to focus on songwriting, um, it was really rough. I mean, <laughs> several years I was spending more than I was making for sure. Yeah. Um, and, and before I had anything published in, you know, on a bigger, on a bigger scale, I was just, finding little bits of work, um, hiring myself out to write songs for people's anniversaries or yeah. weddings. I mean, just anything. And I kind of, I just wanted assignments. I wanted for the creative, um, satisfaction, but also for the money. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then when I started getting stuff cut the first, you know, I, I was fortunate in that those first few years of having someone pitching my work, um, we had singles on the radio. So that was, a huge boon, you know, to, yeah. to my life. And I wasn't yet making records. So I wasn't, there was a, there were a few years where that was just kind of great because I wasn't having to spend money except to travel to write. Yeah. Um, uh, then, you know, when I decided to pursue independent artistry, I started racking up the expenses, of course, paying for recordings and all kinds of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, we went back to, those scales kind of tipping in the other direction again, where we were putting out more than we were taking in. Um, and it's, it's one of those careers that you just have to know it's going to fluctuate. You're going to have a year where you get nothing cut as a songwriter. And the next year you might have something 
pretty big come out. Um, I'm trying to be smart and trying to be diversified and also trying to look forward, um, being realistic about the longevity of these different facets of my career. Um, how long, even with the minimal amount of performing I'm doing right now, how much longer will that be um, asked for? Yeah. <laughs> but, and how much longer will I want to do it? And so what will I want to do after that? And um, how can I stay in this business as long as I can? And in, just in the work of it, because I love it. So well, you said yeah. you said a minute ago there, you said that, um, you know, that's just part of it. You have to realize that, you know, some years you're not going to have anything um and then the, the next year you will like what what has kept you a lot of people quit in that moment though mm. a lot of people quit in the in the years where nothing's happening and don't stick with it long enough to see anything happen so for you what you know what kept you doing it even when you know none of the songs were being cut as you said mm-hmm. or that nothing there, there wasn't nothing seemed to be happening yeah. And, you know, I should mention that in 2006, I won this award for that was in my small niche industry. It was a prominent songwriting award. And then for the next three years, I had nothing cut. Yeah. <laughs> so it was the driest season ever. Um, but, you know, you keep up for me. I, I keep doing it because, I mean, as a cliche as it sounds, I, I love doing it. Um, I keep doing it because I'm hungry and I need to do it. And I I um, am kind of a determined optimist. I, I believe that if I keep at it enough that I'm only going to get better. Surely my best work could not have happened 15 years ago when I'm still practicing, still working. And yeah. um, I, I'm, I need, I need to keep doing it. Um, I'm most alive when I'm doing it. But, you know, on, on the business side of things too, I want to contribute to my family um, financially. And this is what I know how to do. And so if one side of it is not paying off, then I need to kind of figure out what other, what other ways I can contribute to that work and generate income. Is that um, where some ways. of the workshop stuff came in? The workshops originally, um, came about just because, um, well, I, like I said, I've, every summer I spend time mentoring song, young songwriters at this camp and uh, that's just one week, but I started, um, coming back, that's now out in, uh, Southern Kentucky. And I come back to Raleigh and I thought, you know, there've got to be young artists here in Raleigh who yeah. would like to do that. And yeah, it could be a way to support my income for sure. Um, if I have a month where I haven't done them regular, regularly, but if I happen to have a period of time where I'm not on the road and I'm going to be at home anyways, then why not offer that for you know, one night a week for four weeks and, and just sit across the table and, and you know, encourage these because I enjoy it. And it's a way to make money too to support. Well, out of, so out of all these things, the performing, the songwriting, the, the teaching slash mentoring, mm-hmm. um, what do you like, what do you enjoy the most? Like, what do you, what do you get the most personal satisfaction and, you know, sense of like meaning or purpose from? I'm most at play. I like my, my joy level is very, very high when I'm just at the piano doing the creating of a song. That's, that's when the, you know, I just, I feel so happy in that space. Um, But there is an increasing, you know, an ever growing amount of joy coming from talking about, well, kind of like what we're doing now, talking about um, the nature of creativity and creative work with other people who 
aspire to do it or are doing it. And so I, you know, I have some, um, there is a, a new dream growing in the back of my mind to create some kind of art space here in my city of Raleigh, where I can host events, host concerts and house concerts and uh, workshops and things. So I definitely think um, that's something I have to pay attention to in my spirit that, 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 that is kind of something that's moving me yeah, and it might mean that that's, you know, an, an upcoming step in the, on the work side of things. So do you feel, um, I don't know how to say it exactly. Do you, do you feel, do you feel successful? I mean, it's, it's it's such Mm -hmm. a weird question and it's hard to say because, um, I don't know, even in the midst I've, I've found even in the midst of, of times when I should feel, when I can clearly point to things and say, this is a huge success. I still don't feel, um, Mm -hmm. successful. I still don't feel like, um, I feel like there's this ever, uh, it seems like, um, this, this constant self doubt. I, I don't know if it's a common trait with among, you know, artists, creative type people or, or what, but it's, it's just this, this constant sort of, uh, self doubt that drives a lot of the things that I do. I mean, mm. is that, you know, we yes. talked, you talked about performance anxiety a little bit there, but you know, is that something that you deal with? Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and along with the, the rise and fall of work and opportunities and, um, you know, I'll find, that emotional roller coaster going on. Um, I, I feel like I'm maybe, maybe getting better at kind of maintaining some kind of balance, even when the external circumstances are going up and down. I'm trying yeah. to find more equilibrium. Um, I usually feel at my lowest, like after a performance, a lot of the time, because I feel like that's, um, something I keep wanting to just feel better about. Um, I, I, it's not that I, I need to even perform better. I just want to feel better in that space than I do. Um, that's where I feel most inadequate And during. So as far as whether I feel successful, um, during this particular season, like at this moment that you're asking me that, um, I do feel generally, yes, successful in that, I feel like I'm living um, consistently with my purposes mm-hmm. and and my goals and values, and so, and I have and I have achieved things that I feel really good about, and um, I don't want it to stop there. I want to keep. Yeah, I want to. I want to believe there is more to be done. There have been moments where I've thought. I mean, really, where I have thought, you know, and wept over it and said, "I really think I was 32 when I did my best work, and it's never going to happen." Yeah. Again. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I know that feeling and it's, um, I don't know. I, I feel like it, it's, it has to be like, for me, like the why question, you know, why, why am I doing this or mm, why is anyone yes. doing what they're doing is really important because if you don't know the answer to that, then, um, I feel like it, you're just on this con I'm on this constant, uh, search for, uh, meaning and what is, Yes. What what is meaningful and so, um, what is what is that the answer to that for you and what you're doing? Um, and you're doing a lot of different things, so mm-hmm. you know maybe it's different for each of them. But if there's an overall sort of you know 
what are you trying to achieve here? What matters to you most kind of thing? Yeah, that's it's funny. Like I said at the beginning of our conversation, this is exactly what we talked about in this workshop. It was all about purpose because I think you're right. If we know why we personally are doing these things, then it's much easier to sleep at night and go, okay, everything I've collected under this umbrella of purpose belongs here. Yeah. And I've kept out what needs to be kept out. Um, so, you know, for me personally, my bottom line or my, the overarching umbrella, I guess, if you say it that way is, um, love God, love others. Um, that's, pretty much all encompassing, not just for music, but for all of my life is to, um, I, like you, I just, I want to understand why we're here. I want to understand what everything means. I want to understand my fellow humans and I want to love well. Um, and so that's like the, the big thing I want to create art. That's, um, always as truthful as I know how to be at any given moment. Yeah. And as artful as, you know, as I can make it. Um, and so I, that's why, you know, those, that part I feel like has contributed to me being kind of on the fringe of music industry yeah. in a lot of ways. Uh, like I said, I'm kind of a stubborn individualist and I'm very loyal to my own purposes and, and values, but yeah. yeah. Well, how, how do you, how do you, how do you maintain that though? Like, how do you keep doing what you want to do and not, it's really easy to kind of, once you've achieved some success or built some amount of audience, like I said, to start, it's subtle, but like you start thinking, um, um, what, what do they want? Cause as soon as you mm -hmm. have that, you feel like, you know, you can't, you don't want to lose it. You don't want to yeah. lose the audience. So, or the people or the money or whatever it is, that you generated. So at least I start thinking, um, you know, it's, it shifts from me doing just, I was doing this thing that I, that I wanted or needed to do to, um, what do, what's going to be successful? Like, what do people really want to hear? And, um, it's hard, it's really hard to fight that and to just keep doing whatever it is that I want to do. Um, because I feel like, you know, I've got to maintain, um, you know, I got to maintain these people. I've got to keep them wanting to listen. And, and so it's just easy to lose yourself in, in trying to, um, make something that you think will be successful or that you think other people will want. Um, when, you know, for me, like I said, the thing that, that started it all was just doing what I wanted to do. Right. So how do you keep, yeah. how do you keep that? How do you keep doing that? Um, I think, you know, you, you, start out, like you said, just doing your thing and you, you know, you don't, there's low risk because nobody's, you know, watching anyways. Right. And you, you throw it out there and then you find people have kind of gathered around that thing. And then I think you take a look at what you had offered in the first place and you try to figure out, okay, what was it that drew them to, mm -hmm. to me or to my work? Um, at least that's what I've done. And it, I, I don't, it's, it's like trying to know what you look like though, you know? So I, yeah, what you look like in the mirror is not what other people see. And so it's tough. I think it, we, I'm asking people, you know, I'm, I'm trying to listen hard to those emails and those conversations and figure out 
what is it that they that made them come or made them come back? What is it that they need, like you said? Um, because I provided that thing naturally. It is true to me. So if I can keep offering that true thing, but yeah. not hold myself to it always looking exactly the same way or being presented in exactly the same fashion. Um, and that and that can be tricky. You know, I think it requires discernment and trial and error to some point. But, um, you know, like recently, this covers project, I, I was kind of scared to do it because it's so outside of what I've done before. And I didn't want my existing listeners to feel like I jumped tracks on them or like I was betraying them or that, yeah. you know, or just whatever. But I felt like um, what 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 really drew them to me in the first place was my honesty and my um openness about why i was doing what i was doing you know what yeah. at whatever given time and so i shared my heart in wanting to do this project and was just really pleasantly surprised to find that not every person jumped on board there are some people who are like well i liked what you did before i'm not interested in this but then guess what like a whole other band of people that i had never met before found this you know and um yeah that is a really up. scary moment i mean I've, I've dealt with that too it's like you 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 want to change something but again you know you're afraid of of losing people and yeah. um you know this the the covers project too. Yeah, it's like it's it's something different than your other stuff, and it uh, you know that's how I heard about you and mm -hmm. what led to this conversation. So, what um, what made you want to? I mean, you've got everything from, I mean, it's like the Smiths and Nirvana and Smashing Pumpkins and just all kinds of um great bands and great songs on this project, but it's all pretty different stuff than you've done before. Like what made you want to do this, this, uh, this EP, I guess. Yeah. I, it was mainly, um, a need to step into a new creative space, you know, to stretch myself in several different ways. One is to perform something, interpret something, not as a songwriter, not as a singer songwriter, but as an artist taking something and getting inside of it and um, so just like my artistic voice, I wanted to separate myself from my songwriting a little bit and get inside somebody else's music. These um, some of these bands in particular were formative to me, but you would not necessarily know that by listening to my songwriting. So, yeah, that, that's what I was going to ask is how you yeah. picked these these particular songs. If these bands were ones that you um, listen to a lot or these were just favorite songs of yours or, or how you, cause it's, it's kind of, um, it's kind of an eclectic collection of, of yeah, songs what, here. What, I, it's it's weird that the, almost though all the bands though, sorry to interrupt, but like all the bands yeah. are like, um, I don't know. I'm drawn to that sort of tortured artist, you know, <laughs> um, uh, mentality and, you know, all these songs that you picked for this EP, you know, those bands are definitely known for that sort of um, that sort of style, you know, yeah. that sort of um, a lot of struggle and a lot of angst and, and, and a lot of searching. And um, so, yeah, when you put this together, what were you what was your state of mind at that point? Were you going through that yourself? No, I was kind of hearkening, hearkening back to my uh, 
late teens and early adulthood, though, um, but primarily, you know, late teens or mid teens, um, when I did spend most of my time listening to the Smiths or Natalie Merchant or Enya or just, right. you know, these types of bands. So a big, you know, another part of the project was me wanting to honor songs that were formative to me and to others in my generation and, and the generation just after mine. And, um, so that was part of it. And then when we actually got down to song selection, man, uh, my producer and I, we spent days, you know, <laughs> going through, I mean, I went through so many songs trying to figure out what was right. And there were so many factors because I was, as I said earlier, also heavily influenced by some female artists like Sinead O'Connor and Suzanne Vega and Edie Brickell and the Cranberries. And, yeah. But when I sat down at the piano and tried to do my thing with it, it wasn't that different from what they had done, yeah. but yeah. it was less interesting to me because, I mean, you can't, like, they're so iconic as female singers that I think it would be really cool to have a guy do them, but, like, I just needed more separation, I guess. Yeah. So, so approaching, these were all, what we landed on were all male-fronted alternative bands. And um, so by nature, being a girl, you know, every time I sat down and playing piano, it just sounded so interesting and different. And we felt like, you know, the sky was the limit. We could just do anything we wanted and it would be apples and oranges from from the original yeah so. well it's just like some of these songs on this ep are like some of my favorite songs from those bands and so i was just curious you know um um so did you you pick these songs in particular um because they fit with you i guess but also you know um i'm guessing you had to connect with them in some way you know yeah and, yeah, and that was cool too i mean part you know on a pragmatic level they had to work for my voice and be interesting melodically for me. But, um, but then lyrically and emotionally, it was really fascinating to enter that space and have Ben, my producer say, okay, so who's singing this or who are you singing this to right now? You know, in the moment, yeah. in the vocal booth, what is this about for you? And, and honestly, a couple of like, I was never personally a big Smashing Pumpkins fan. I know that's like a very unpopular thing to say, <laughs> but it, and so um, it was a great experience for me to connect with this song and to find it so moving once I spent time with it, you know, and for it to resonate deeply with me and in, in, in several ways. And so even though I didn't choose them all going, this is like what I'm going through once I once we started. uh yeah building, building the song from the ground up and then getting in the vocal booth. And we would mull over the lyrics during lunch, Ben and I, what do you think he was talking about here? What, what could it be? Even if that's not what he meant, what does it mean to you? And, and that's so fun. Well, it's just interesting that the songs you picked, I would say are, um, a bit darker and, and definitely the bands are all fairly yeah. dark bands. Like I said, you know, just lots of angst and, and, and lots of, um, Lots of uh, sort of existential searching and mm -hmm. crises and that kind of thing, and and so it's just it, it just seems like um, a theme on that EP, and so yeah. I just wondered how you ended up there with with most of your other stuff being not at all like that, you know? Yeah, it you know when I write songs, um, you were talking about um, kind of in other language like a sense of responsibility to your audience, and that is 
really big for me because, and on one hand, like my husband is much more of a rebel than I am in, in the sense that he's like, Hey, screw them. Just do whatever you want. Yeah. You know? And I'm like, no, I really care about them and I want to be giving them something that's good for them or that they, that they you know, that feeds them in some way or, um, that they enjoy, appreciate. And so, I don't like the idea of, you know, writing as a person of faith who, you know, who, who writes from a worldview that includes God. Um, I don't like the idea of writing music that's just all sweetly tied up and ignores the harsh realities of life. So even though I tend to um, write with hope, I also am known as a songwriter in my little community as being someone who deals with the hard stuff as well. And I tend to write, I mean, I get teased by my friends by specializing in sad songs in a way, yeah. even though they, they have hope, uh, you know, they are still definitely recognizing loss and doubt yeah. and sadness. And so I, I like these songs on this album because they allow you to just sit in that moment that we all know very well. Um, the moment of, of lostness or darkness or feeling unloved and they don't try to fix it. You know, it's just like, Hey, that's, this is the moment I'm at and it's as real as anything else. And it's not saying, you know, it's going to end badly, but it's saying, let's just be in it for the moment. And that's okay. I think that's okay. It's real. Yeah, no, it is. And that's, you know, uh, the, <laughs> one of my friends is like, you know, the, those kind of out al- the, the sad albums, you know, the breakup albums are always the best albums, you know, because, <laughs> <And so, laughs> You know, but there's just something, you know, I, I really liked all those songs because, uh, I don't know, I feel like I that's that's where I am most of the time is in that, you know, uh, kind of tortured search for, you know, um, what it's all about. And, and that's right. kind of a theme that all those bands that you covered on the CP, a lot of their songs kind of revolve around that. So, like, in releasing this, like... What was your intention? Like, are you trying to um, um, uh, reach a different group of people or um, what was, you know, what were you thinking when you thought, I want, I want to do this EP? Why did you want to do it? I guess. Some of it was just, I needed to do it as an artist. Like I needed to um, try something new, challenge myself to grow in a new way and to stretch. And I needed some accountability to actually do that. So I, I mean, I think that's really important for artists to kind of have public deadlines and, and say, Hey, I'm going to show up and perform this night, you know, and then you have to like do it. You have to. So, um, it was partly for me just on that level. And then also I did hope that it would introduce me to new people because I feel like it's really easy as a female in the business to get boxed in, I mean, I feel like it's easy for anybody to get labeled yeah. and boxed in, but um, especially maybe as a female, I'm a little sensitive to being, uh, you know, I am, I am a woman and I am a mother, but I'm not just a woman and a mother. I'm a thinker and fully human. And I yeah. have, um, you know, so there are more dimensions and to me that I wanted to feel free to express and conversations I wanted to feel in free to enter into. And I, so I think I, um, and I think as, you know, when we're putting ourselves out there in this kind of work there, there's the service to others and there's also a desire to be known and understood. And these bands were actually, you know, a big part of my background and 
even today, I spend most of my time, um, despite, despite me being kind of a determined optimist, um, most of my playlists are very dark. That's just what I enjoy. I yeah. like the melancholy music. And so um, I just wanted to share that part of myself. But it has been interesting um, because as soon as I shared this, even as a Kickstarter, um, even when I was just crowdfunding this project, so many more guys were into this project than have ever been into any of my other stuff, including yeah. my husband. I mean, he's like, oh, my gosh, this is my favorite thing. And um, and I think it opened me up sonically to, to I wanted to be able to try this slightly more electronic sound. Um, and it so it was kind of an experiment, an experimental space. I can do it with these songs that are not my own and decide how much of that I want to integrate into my future recordings of my own yeah. stuff. But so the response has been pretty good to this? Then? It's been so great considering, I mean, I didn't even put, because it's an EP, I didn't put money into PR and stuff like I um, have in the past. So um, it's just been word of mouth and, and that's why I put it on noise trade too, is just to make it accessible to a lot more people who wouldn't encounter my music if I just put it up on iTunes. And because um, I thought people would enjoy it. And I wanted to, I wanted the pleasure of seeing that. And it's been so much fun to, to, um, to see how excited people are to hear some of their favorite songs come back to life in a new way. And yeah, well, so I mean, has, do you feel like it, it has at least, strictly in a, in a business way that it has, um, accomplished something like it's, it's grown your audience or your exposure somewhat. I, I think it has, and I think that's still going to unfold in the coming months to <coughs> see just how, you know, far reaching that, that will be. Um, I think it will, um, or has, you know, added, taken my credibility or my respectability in the artistic realm up a little bit, a couple yeah. notches. Um, and I'm, I've got people who interacted immediately wanting to know about, um, pitching, if they could participate in pitching to film and TV for licensing, you know, yeah. sync licenses. And I think that's, um, a real possibility for these songs. And I'd love to do more. That's something I've been wanting to do, to do going forward. And, um, so this may be a, uh, segue into those kinds of opportunities. I don't know. Awesome. Well, one, uh, I want to ask you one last thing. What, what do you, um, what do you feel like has been, um, what do you feel like has been the hardest thing that you've had to overcome to, to get to where you are or to uh, get to the place where you feel like you've found, um, the answer to the why of, of what you're doing. Um, cause I feel like, like I'm 35 and I'm, mm -hmm. I feel like I'm, st I'm, st I'm barely scratching the surface of, of that question and, and why I'm doing what I'm doing. And it just takes a long time, um, to get there. And so, uh, yeah, it's kind of a convoluted, I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, um, yeah, what, what do you feel like is the, mm -hmm. the, the biggest thing that stood in your way or the biggest obstacle, the biggest thing that you've had to deal with or overcome to get to this place where you feel like you know why you're doing what you're doing? And as you said, that helps you uh, sleep at night and get through the times when things aren't going so well. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I have a super simple answer, but I think it's it, the biggest obstacle is me like my, um, 
it's kind of a pride. It's pride that manifests in as insecurity. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of the time I waste, I've wasted a lot of time in my life waiting to be invited because I, I don't, I don't consider, I didn't consider myself an ambitious person, like somebody who wanted to go knocking on doors. And so I would just always sit back against the wall and wait for somebody to notice. And I should have just, um, I think that's pride in a way, like if I'm a servant to my art and this is a, a, just a gift I've been given to steward, to take care of and to share generously, like Seth Godin, um, says, then I don't need to, you know, maybe it's a little bit of false humility to always hold back and always wait to be invited and, or wait to be begged to do something. Just, um, you know, maybe that was me making it about me instead of me making it about the music and about other people. And so that's what I try to communicate to others now is don't feel bad, like putting, you know, they're afraid to self-promote or market what they're making. Yeah. But you have to, for one thing, you're trying to stay alive and you have to put food on your table. That's a real thing. And every single human has to do that, um, has to put food on their table. So it's okay. I think that's a a really important realization. Like I said, I mentioned the conversation with the artist Stephanie Halligan, and it was like this, there's this point where like she actually believed hey maybe it is possible for me to do the thing that i want to do and i had that same realization um at on over a different thing and i think that's kind of what you're you're talking about like Mm -hmm. hey you know i don't have to just like you said sort of wait to be picked i can actually this is possible i can make this happen like was there was there a circumstance or a thing that um kind of shifted that for you where you were like i don't Mm -hmm. i don't have to sit over here and just wait for someone to discover me i can I can do what I want to do. Yeah, I think um, in as I got to know my friend Nicole Witt out in Nashville, we started have you know having those talks where we'd say, you know, she had had so much experience with labels, even being signed as an artist and then shelved, and we were kind of done waiting. You know, we're like, um, I think the you know you said you're 35, and the more time goes on, you realize, Hey, I don't have all the time in the world. Okay. This is like make or break. I've got to, if I want to do this, I can sit around waiting for somebody to invite me in, but then I may be 80 and full of regrets. And I don't know anything worse than living with regrets. So I, I just, I remember us both saying, you know, why don't we just create our own opportunities? And we started, you know, we made a couple of events, put a couple of events together, um, that were built around creativity and arts and share, gave, gave us an opportunity to share, but also gave us opportunity to encourage others. And we love both of those things. So yeah, we just started doing that and, and that's overflowed into other parts of each of our solo careers and lives. Yeah. Just saying, Hey, let's just make something. I've got like the workshops, you know, here in Raleigh, I'm like, well, I have a month. What could I do at that time? I could offer workshops and stay yeah. home. Yeah, definitely. So. If you could kind of rewind all the way back um, to college or, or, you know, this road that you've been on, would you, you think that you would do anything differently than you've done? Um, well, I, I would like to say that I would have learned that earlier. Yeah. I just don't know how you do it. You have to take a step at a time in life and. Yeah, there aren't really any shortcuts, you know. Right. I mean, I see other people who have learned these things earlier, and I wish that 
I had learned it earlier, but I don't know how that would have happened. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, what um, if there was, you know, for anyone listening, you know, I don't think there are a lot of musicians in the audience, Mm -hmm. but, you know, um, definitely a lot of uh, entrepreneurs and and, and want to be entrepreneurs and people who, you know, who just don't don't fit the mold and want to do their own thing. You know, um, what would what would your advice be to them at the stage where, you know, trying to figure out how to do it, but how to make money at the same time. Mm-hmm. And it's hard. And as you said, there's only 12 people that are paying attention, mm-hmm. you know, and wondering whether or not, you know, should continue doing this or if it's worth it. I mean, what would you say to people in that place? Um, I'd say, first of all, like spend, devote time, any of your spare moments to getting good at that thing that you think you love so much. Um, and, you know, make sure that that it is a strength for you. And then um, I think start taking small steps, you know, put your feet in the water and see how it feels. Um, I, I, I've done a lot of research along the way to see what's already out there. And um, but it, and then after that, you look at what you consume yourself and what you find yourself going. I wish that existed or I wish. You know, for music, I think yeah. it was Brian Wilson who said, I try to write the songs that I would like to listen to. And um, pro- I'm sure with your podcast, you know, there's something of like, I wish there was a podcast that exists or there should be something that does this, that fills this need. I would like to listen to that, you know. Yeah. And so I think when you find that thing and you throw that out to a couple of friends and they're like, or, you know, whether it's playing the song or it's throwing out the business idea um, and you hear other people saying, yeah, that should exist, then that's maybe something worth listening to and investing a little more into. And, and also thinking you, a bunch of small audiences, um, in, you know, when you diversify, take your strength and find these different little roads you can go down to bring in some income. It can add up, you know, it can add up to something. Yeah, I, I love that. I like how you have done that. Um, and also, I like that you mentioned getting good at things because, like, that's something I never really considered. Like, I've been someone who things just kind of come a bit mm-hmm. um, easily to me. And, yeah. and you know, I explore something until my curiosity is satisfied and then I move on to the next thing. Mm-hmm. And it never really struck me that... Um, um, that's part of the problem is the constant moving on to the next thing and not ever really getting good enough at something that people are compelled to take notice. Mm. Yeah. And I, I think that especially in the very young generation, um, because of YouTube, which is a beautiful thing in many ways, but it's kind of given this, it's fed this hunger to be instantly famous instead of slowly great at what you do, what you're doing. And so um, I think that's important focus on being great at what it is you're putting out there. And then, you know, not, not that you want to wait until you think you're great because that could be 20 years, you know, you can go ahead and start sharing, but it's where you're, what, what the goal is, I guess. Yeah, no, definitely. Well, that's, that's awesome. Thanks. Thanks for talking to me, Krista. I really appreciate it. I've been listening to this EP pretty much nonstop. Oh, thanks. (laughs) Um, Thanks, Adam. I hope that continues to go well for you. Um, Where, where can, you know, you've got the workshops, you've, you've got the stuff. Um, 
um, I know your website is crystalwellsmusic.com. Is that where you, yep. where, where would you want to send people if they want to find out more about what you're up to? Yeah, that's probably the most all-encompassing place is my website, um, crystalwellsmusic.com. I'm also on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, but I think you can get there from, get to the, all of those places from the website. <laughs> Definitely. Well, like I said, thanks so much for coming on the show and talking to me. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, Adam. Well, that's it. That's the show. I told you she's a smart one. I really enjoyed that. Thanks Krista for being on the show. Thanks to Hover and Harvest for sponsoring the show. Be sure and check out the deals they have for you. And as I said at the beginning, thanks for listening and thanks for supporting the show. If you want to help me out, then you can go to iTunes and leave a review and a rating for the show. That's always awesome. And you can tell your friends about it. That's another thing that really helps me. And if you want to actually financially support the show, you can do that by going to avclark.com support. Big, huge thanks to all of you who are already doing that. Uh, It helps more than you know. So if you're interested in doing that, check it out. Well, that's all I've got. Uh, Not much more for you this week. I hope you have a great Wednesday. I hope it's going a little bit better than my week is going, which is just insane. Everybody's sick. Ugh, it's one of those weeks. Oh, well, I'll get through it. I know. So, again, I appreciate your support. And I'm glad you're here checking out the show, listening to the show. If it's your first time, thanks for being here. I hope you check out some of the archives. There's a lot of other great episodes that you can check out by going to avclark.com. All right. Thanks again for listening. I'll see you next time. I don't know, I'm sort of just an old guy with a big tongue. That's I'm just a big old tongue old man. That's all that is. Um, that's sort of how many words am I at?